you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 20. Is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 20. If you'd like to use a pew Bible, that'll be page 1105. 1105 if you would like to turn there. Uh, as we get started and as you're flipping to Acts 20, uh, I know I'm going to say this because he won't, but I'm, we are so blessed to have Jared Dormany lead worship here. And yeah, he is... Um, He's sitting right down here in front of me, so I have the microphone. He doesn't. I can embarrass him all I want to. Uh, but no, we are so blessed. And please come back out tonight, a part of our night of worship, uh, some of the songs. It's amazing to me that this morning we have younger folks up here leading music that was written in-house, and we get to be a part of that. That's something unique uh, here that we get to be a part of uh, it's, you know, as God is doing what God does among us. And then we get to celebrate that and lean into the Lord tonight. So please come out and be a part uh, of the night of worship tonight. It's going to be a fantastic time. And then also please mark your calendars. As the video said, on March 2nd, when we celebrate John Ed, who is sitting right down here to my right, your left. And that's just going to be a fantastic night. He doesn't know it, but you're actually going to get to hear from him that night. He'll be speaking as well, but I'll tell him that later. So... Acts chapter 20 is where we are. Acts 20, we're going to start in verse 17. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the worship in this place. We thank you for your spirit that is among us. And we ask now that you would teach us. Lord, would you help us see you? And Lord, would you be with that person speeding down the street? In Jesus' name, amen. It distracted me, okay? <laughs> if you can imagine a city where the economy is down, where jobs are leaving, where there's low morale among the citizens, then you can picture where Paul is in Miletus. That's where he is in verse 17. He has left Ephesus. He's been traveling around to a lot of different places. In verse 17... It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is in Miletus. He calls to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. He's been traveling since he left there. He calls to them. They're about 50 miles away, and they come. And what Paul does here is he has a conversation with the elders, with the leaders of the church, and what he does for them and what he does for us is he teaches us how to be a servant. He teaches us how to be a servant. One of the unique things about the Christian life is that the Christian life inverts the world's standards, number one. We invert, Christianity inverts the world's standards on what it means on how we live, but also the Christian life inverts the world's goals on what we want out of life. And in the Christian life, in following this Jesus, we are following one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In fact, the core teaching of this from Jesus is Mark 10, 43 through 45. And in Mark 10, 43, that's where Jesus makes that famous statement. He says, you want to be great? Like you really want to be great in the kingdom? You must be a servant. Then verse 44, he says, you want to be first? You really want to be first? He uses strong language. He said, you have to make yourself a slave to others. And then he looks at his 
followers who are listening in this moment as they are confused. He looks them in the eyes and he says, guys, not even me. I didn't even come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that one teaching there of Jesus completely inverts the world's standards. I mean, our goal, our, our idea of vacation is to go on a vacation where other people serve us in every way possible, Right? I mean, we orient our minds and our hearts around having other people serve us. We even say and see that, that, well, the highest place in life is to have a mansion one day with servants who take care of you and cut your grass and cut your toenails and all those other things. It's weird, right? We do. We do. We think that's the highest honor to have people serve me, but not in the kingdom. In the kingdom, the highest honor is when we serve others. And so Paul is going to teach us how to do that. And we're going to see that he's going to talk about how he approached serving the Lord. And then he's going to give some direct application to the leaders. And then we're going to see the power that a servant has. And right here, what is descriptive about Paul's service, I think, is prescriptive for us. And so it says in verse 17, he sent for the elders, again, about 50 miles away, called them to come to him. And when they came, he said to them, you yourselves know how. Notice the word how. You know how I lived among you. Notice that. So right here, Paul is talking about how he went about living among these people who are now sitting in front of him. How I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with, and then he begins to describe. So right here, the first thing we see is if if we're going to serve people, you got to be with people. You got to be among people. He's talking to them in the context of how he went about living his life, serving the Lord in front of them, with them, beside them, alongside of them. And a lot of times we like the idea of serving God. We just don't want people involved. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. It always involves people. If you're going to serve people, you must be with people. He said, you yourselves know how. I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, verse 19, serving the Lord with, and the first thing he says is all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. You know, whenever we serve other people, whenever we actually commit to serving others, it's called doing ministry. Whenever we serve other people, we're either going to become big hearted or going to become big headed. And so many times we can start serving other people and all of a sudden pride seeps into our service and all of a sudden our service becomes about us. It becomes about us. It becomes about what we get out of the actual serving. A man who is an expert in this, Robert Lupton, he said this. He said, yes, we as the church, we're compassionate people, but... What the church has done in recent years is we've been evaluating our charity by the rewards we receive through service rather than the benefits received by the served. You know, there's a world of difference. And it's true, we are blessed when we serve, absolutely. But there's a world of difference between blessed when we serve and serving so that we are blessed. Those are two completely different approaches to serving. And what Paul says is, when I was among you, 
When I was living among you, I did it with all humility. I did not want pride to come in. I didn't want to become bitter, jealous, or jaded in any way. I did not want this to become about me in any way. I wanted to serve, but serve not in a consumeristic way where I go to serve just because it makes me feel good, but serve in a self-sacrificial way where my focus is totally on the person that I'm serving in that moment. That is true humility in serving. So Paul says, I serve the Lord with humility. Second thing, he says, and with tears and with trials. I put those two together. With tears and with trials. Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And we've been seeing those, and there are more throughout the book of Acts here. Notice that Paul says, when I was with you serving, it got hard. It got really hard. And the truth is, there's times when we are serving, and it does get hard. There are times when it's gut-wrenching. There's times when it breaks our heart. There's times when it's emotional. And yes, serving just simply gets hard to a point where we do shed tears, where we do go through what we would consider a legitimate trial. But notice again, Paul did not give up. Paul did not give up because he saw his perspective was through the beatings, he was becoming someone. And he went through physical beatings, not just emotional and mental beatings a lot of times that we go through. Through the beatings, he was becoming. And the same is true for us. Through the beatings that we go through, we become the person that God sent his son to die for us to be. We are shaped and molded into the image of Christ. I love the illustration of a steel bar. You can have a steel bar worth $5. You can take it, you can heat it up, you can melt it, you can beat it, you can fashion it and turn it into horseshoes, sell them for $20. You can take that same steel bar, $5. You can heat it up and beat it and fashion it and you can turn it into scalpels and sell them for $350. You take that same steel bar worth $5. You can heat it up, beat it, fashion it all the way down till you make tiny springs that go in ink pens. And one $5 steel bar turned into springs you can sell for $250,000. Meaning the more we go through, the more tears and trials, the beatings, the heatings, the shaping, the molding, the fashioning that we go through, the greater value we actually have in the kingdom. There's something about going through tears and trials that produce for us a testimony of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God, because we know that if he's done it before, he'll do it again. There's something about the times where we go through those testings and tears and trials that creates this tenacity in us that we really do believe that God is with us even here, even now. And Paul said, I didn't give up through that because I was becoming someone. So Paul says, when I was among you serving, I served with humility. It was not about me. It was never about me. It could not be about me. And then I hung in there through the hard times, through every tear that was shed, every trial that I faced. And then he says this, verse 20, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. That word profitable is so important. And teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jew and to Greek of two things, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right here is where all of a sudden we start backpedaling a little bit and we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Paul's talking about teaching here. Chris, I'm not a teacher. 
right? And a lot of times we'll say, I'm not standing up, I'm not teaching. Well, not so fast. Hang on with me. Every, we have this crazy belief around here that everybody is called to be a member of a local church, right? To be a part of the life of the church where you're accountable, you help old, hold other people accountable, you do life with other people. We, all, we, we believe that around here. And, and then we have this other belief that every member is called to be in what? Ministry. That's right. It's just crazy that we would believe this, but we really do. We really do. And then we also believe that every member is called to be in ministry, and behind every ministry there's a message. Because every ministry, every way we serve somebody communicates something. Paul said, I declared to you what was profitable. Profitable. I love that word profitable. Sinofrio is a Greek word. It means literally to bring together. It is profitable in that it brings together. Paul said, I did not shrink back from everything that I was doing. I wanted it to be profitable, meaning I wanted it to bring people and God together. I wanted to bring people and people within God's family together. And then a part of what he was doing that was profitable was, yes, he was teaching. But notice he was teaching in public and from house to house, meaning in public and also in private. There's consistency in his message. And then notice that he's teaching to Jews and to Greeks, right? So no matter the background of the person that he was talking to, he wanted to be consistent in this message because everybody's called to be a part of a local church. Every member has a ministry and every ministry has a message. And here's the thing, all of our ministries, regardless of what we do in serving other people, we have the same message. And he tells us what it is. He said, everywhere I went, public, private, Jew, Greek, did not matter. I testified to two things. Number one, repentance toward God. And number two, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, he's going to call this the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. The two gifts that God gives us, the two primary gifts that God gives us among everything else that God could do for us on the planet is that he gives us the gift of repentance and he gives us the gift of faith. He gives us the gift of repentance. It's not just a demand. It is a gift that he gives us, meaning that all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my guilt, everything that I live with is dealt with because of what Jesus has done. That everything that's in my past, that, that I, even the things I don't want people to know and the things I, don't, I wish that God didn't know, all of that can be dealt with, all the guilt, all the shame. But then not only that, not only repentance, is a gift to me, but I can have faith, that believing obedience, that believing that produces this joyful obedience in Jesus. I can have that right now in the present and as I move forward. These are the two greatest gifts. And see, while every one of us are called to serve in some way, we have a ministry, the message behind what we're doing, no matter what it is, no matter what the mechanism of our serving is, what we want people to know is that God can deal with all of your past, all the guilt, all the shame, all the fear that you have. He can deal with that, but then he can give you faith in the present so that you can move forward into the future. Again, Paul will call it the gospel of grace here in just a little bit. And that is the message behind everything that we do. No matter what way we serve, that's what's behind it. That's why we serve in Jesus' name, right? Because we're communicating that Jesus has done something for me to serve you in this simple or tangible way. And what makes the church different from other community service providers is the message that motivates us. That's what makes us different. The message that motivates us. 
And what we're doing is profitable. It brings people and God together. It brings God's people together. And not only is it profitable now, it's eternally profitable, right? Eternally coming together, people with God. That's why the language of the New Testament is restoration, reconciliation. When we remember God, He remembers us, puts us back together. This is the God that we have. And no matter how we serve, whatever that looks like, That's the message that motivates our ministry, regardless what the ministry is. So Paul says, when I was among you, I served, I did it with humility. I did it through the hard times. And my focus was on giving people what was profitable, what brought people together with God. And then he looks at the leaders in verse 22 and he says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That sounds like fun. Not really. Notice what Paul's saying here. Where our eyes immediately go is imprisonments and afflictions. Paul's focused on something different. He says, While I was among you serving, I wanted to do it with humility, I went through the hard times. I wanted to give what was profitable, what brought people together with God. And his point right here that he is making to the leaders in Ephesus is that I follow the Holy Spirit. If we're going to serve the Lord, we have to have the ability and the willingness to follow the Holy Spirit, wherever the Holy Spirit leads and whatever it takes. And, And Notice that Paul here, he's not concerned with things that concern us many times. We get concerned with comfort and convenience. Paul's concern is around radical obedience to the Spirit's leading. Now, I think if the world needs anything, it needs a church. It needs some individuals that make up the church who will be radically obedient to the Holy Spirit. I think that would be one of the greatest testimonies for the world to see because it has been throughout history and it's what we need today. Now, here's the thing. Serving God and saying, God, I'm going to serve as you lead, as it's the Holy Spirit leads me, this is unnerving, okay? This is very unnerving. Paul even says it. He says, yes, I want to go to Jerusalem, but I don't know what's going to happen to me there. And what I do know doesn't sound very good, right? Yes, it's unnerving. That's why we got to have faith, by the way. Yes, it's unnerving, but here's one thing I want you to know. Serving God and following the lead in the Holy Spirit is not complicated. We complicate it all the time. We second guess the leading of the Holy Spirit all the time. And a lot of times we complicate doing what it is that God's called us to do, serving in some way that God has called us to serve. We complicate it by asking two questions. The two common questions whenever we're thinking about serving God is, what am I good at and what do I have time for? (laughs) amen or oh me, right? Yeah. What am I good at? What do I have time for? And those are two very good questions. We need to ask those questions and process that. Sure, fine. But that's not Paul's leading question. Paul's leading question is, where is the Spirit leading me? And what is it that he is telling me to do? Where's the Spirit leading and what is it he is telling me to do? The Holy Spirit would give Paul a ministry of preaching and teaching. What is Paul not good at according to his own admission in the book of Corinthians? Preaching and teaching. But God had called him to do it. He said, I don't speak eloquently like the Greek philosophers of his day. 
I don't use wise words of wisdom and string all these sentences together when he stands up and speaks. He said, that's why I needed the Holy Spirit to show up, right? See, we ask the question, what am I good at? What do I have time for? Paul's just simply going, God, where are you leading me to go? You tell me, I'll go do it. You tell me and I'll have radical obedience and I will follow. He served with humility. He went through the hard times. He wanted what was profitable, what brought people and God together and his approach was, I'm gonna follow the Holy Spirit. And then number five, he looks at the leaders in verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Repentance and faith. He said, Paul says this. Yes, my approach was I want to stay humble. I want to keep moving through the hard times. I want to give what is profitable. I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to finish well. I want to finish well. Not just start well. I want to finish well. And by finishing well, he means finish the ministry that Jesus has given him. He said, that's my goal. That's my goal for the rest of my life to finish well. You see, if you listen to the world long enough, you're going to hear there are two themes. There are two themes. What people who have a worldly worldview think and seek after are, number one, security. And most of the time by that, we mean finances. Number two, longevity. We mean health. Financial security, health. Longevity. Matter of fact, you can go around the country today in America, and there's some preachers who they'll tell you that's God's will for your life wealth and health. I'm just not one of them. But that's what the world gives, that's what they're selling. Jesus actually didn't necessarily promise those two things. But what Jesus does is he promises meaning, purpose. Jesus promises that your life can count. What Jesus does is he steps into our life and with salvation, he gives us meaning where we are motivated to go share that message through some form of ministry, whatever it is. And in that, in the sharing of that greatest message of all, the greatest gift from God, this gospel of grace, this repentance and faith, that's where we find ultimate Meaning, And if we are going to finish well, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we going to pursue in life? Are we going to pursue security and longevity? Two great things. Wish everybody had it. We just don't. Or are we going to seek to serve? Because we have been served and we've been given the greatest gifts of all, this gospel of grace, this repentance, and this faith. You see, the Christian race is a unique race, isn't it? You ever notice people aren't sprinting to the end of it? Think about that. People don't want to hurry up and finish their Christian race. It's because the Christian race is a unique race and that the Christian race is about quality. It's about this ever-increasing capacity of our heart to love the least, the last, and the lost, and to love them enough to share this message with them through something called ministry or service, 
when we serve them in some tangible way. And what it looks like for us to finish well is to spend our lives doing what we do, serving others in Jesus' name because the giver gets the glory and we don't want it. It's not Fraser's glory, it's Jesus' glory when he moves and works through us. And if we would simply be committed to that, we will finish well. And what Paul does here is he summarizes all of this in verse 26. And he says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, with my words and my actions, whether it's in public or in private, to Jew or Greek, didn't matter, all of who I am, all of what I know about who God is, I did not withhold any of that from you. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is what would our lives look like? What would we have to change in our lives for us to do that very same thing? What change would be required of us? Now at this point in the story, when Paul lays this out, I serve with humility through the hard times, what is profitable and brings people together with God. I follow the Spirit and my goal is to finish well, continuing to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Paul looks at the leaders in the church and he says three things. The first thing he says in verse 28 is, this is application for them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's the first thing he says. This is the word responsibility. Paul looks at these leaders. He's about to send them back 50 miles away, back to Ephesus. And while he's described how he served, he looks them in the eyes. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves because servants must always tend to until the soul of our own soul. We must always be cultivating our own walk with Christ. So many times we can find ourselves pouring ourselves out, serving other people, and then we become bitter, jealous, or jaded. If anybody could have been bitter, jealous, or jaded, it would have been Paul with everything that he went through. But he didn't go there. That's why he looks at these other leaders, these other servants, these other ministers, and he says, guys, you've got to pay careful attention to yourself. Because the truth is, if my soul gets in an unhealthy place, guess who's responsible? It's not my circumstances. It's not what's happening around me. It's not even what I'm going through. If my soul gets in an unhealthy place, I'm responsible. The same is true for Paul. The same is true for the leaders he's looking at in the first century. And the same is true for you. We have to take responsibility for that. And Paul wanted them to. The second thing he says to them is pay careful attention to yourselves and pay careful attention to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then notice he gives this warning. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That had to be an awkward moment when Paul looks at these servants of God and he says, by the way, it's gonna get really tough People are going to try to lead others astray. Not only that, from among this group right here I'm talking to, he says, some of you are going to rise up and twist the truth. So Paul says to them, you, gotta, you better take care of yourself or you'll find yourself doing that. But he says, take care of yourselves, 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and you gotta pay careful attention to those you serve. And Paul's not talking about this in a sense in which we own another person. That's not it. He's talking about it in a sense of stewardship. We have to steward the moments that God gives us to constantly point the people we serve to the one who is the real truth and that is Jesus himself. That's what we do when we serve. That's why when we serve in some way, it's not just giving a cup of water. Ultimately, it's done in Jesus' name. We're pointing people to who he is. The third thing he says to him is in verse 35. He says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul looks at these servants. He says, you gotta watch yourself. He says, you gotta watch over those who God has given you to serve. He said, and not only that, you gotta make sure you focus on being a blessing. Don't focus on being blessed. Focus on being a blessing. Because it is more blessed to give, to pour yourself out for others. And the thing about being a blessing is, anytime you're a blessing to someone else, you first have to say no to yourself. You have to deny yourself something, even if it's just time, in order to be a blessing to others. And Paul says, let that be how you serve. And then notice how this section ends. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken to them when he said they would not see his face again. He told them, I'm leaving. You're probably not going to see me again. But then the text says, and they accompanied him to the ship. They walked him to the ship, watched him get on and watched him sail away. Notice what they do at the end of this sobering conversation is that they pray. See, the power that you have to serve is not your intellect, It's not your skill. It's not your talents. It's not a degree that you have. It's not your charisma. It's not your position. It's none of that. The power that a servant has in this world comes through prayer. It comes through prayer. Someone once said, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. That is true. But prayer also moves the hardest and most reluctant hearts. And prayer also awakens a lethargic heart. And as we close the service, I'm gonna ask you the simple question, and that is, how are you serving in the kingdom? If we really believe that everyone should belong to a church, which we do, and we believe that every member has a ministry, which we do, and we believe every ministry has the same message about who Jesus is, which we do believe, the question is, where are you giving that message How are you serving, pointing people to the one who is both full of grace and truth, who can deal with the past but give them a life now and hope in the future? How do you do that? It's a simple question before us. What I know is that in prayer, when we're really honest with God in prayer about our lives, God has the ability to take our selfish ambitions, baptize them in the blood of Christ, and give us a heart to serve others in a way that we could never imagine. And what we have to remind ourselves of as Christians is that serving is not an option. But it's my present tense calling. And passages like this just put it before us once again. So may we be that kind of church and may you 
answer that kind of call. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I want to pray for us. They're going to lead us in a closing song. If you would bow your head and just ask yourself that question. How are you serving? Where are you ministering? And for some of you, you, you got five places or more. Great. But if you're sitting there and you've been on the fence, you've been reluctant, you haven't wanted to step across the line and say, yeah, God, you can use my mouth, my hands, my mind, my life. What does it look like for you to say yes and let him use you in some way? So Father, we come in this moment and God, I just ask that for all of us, those who are serving right now, Lord, would you help us not do that with pride? Lord, would you help us have endurance and go through the hard times because they're gonna come? Would you help us only do what is profitable that brings people closer to you? Would you help us follow the leading of your Holy Spirit? And Lord, would you help us finish well with the end goal in mind of doing only what it is you've called us to do and therefore preaching the whole counsel of God? Lord, for those who are in the room who may be reluctant, they may even sense some way that you're calling them to serve and maybe they're just a little shy or scared. Lord, I pray for a holy boldness that we would step out so that you can be magnified through our lives because ultimately that's what we want. The last thing we need is just somewhere else to volunteer, God. We want you to be magnified through our service and our ministry to others. Let it be so. Let it happen through us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you would, please.